the Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will have the last of the newly ordained priests, Father Scott Miller, will be with us to talk about his ordination, uh, what he's looking forward to as a priest, and actually, we will not be talking about what he looks forward to as a priest because he is a chatty Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Self-admittedly a chatty Kathy. We get to hear all about his call to the priesthood, and it's a really great story. Uh, so I hope you'll stick around for that to see if he really proves to be that chatty Kathy. I'm going to say chatty Kathy one more time. <laughs> First, Dr. Bergwald is here with us for Biblical Bites with Dr. B. With Dr. B. That's, That's the closest That's you get to a song. But Biblical a Bites with Dr. B. NPR style. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I look forward to hearing uh, Father Scott Miller talk about the, the crucial point at which his, uh, yeah. his high school small group leader led him closer. <laughs> he never closer. mentioned you. You know, what? that's funny. No, <laughs> he not did not, once. did he, Bill? Not one time. We're going to have to reshoot that interview, Father I think. Father Miller, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> no, I, he and I joke about that often. Clearly, Father Scott, it's because you're in the seminary and now you're a priest. Because, Obviously. You know, he gives me a hard time. Nope. Nothing <laughs> not at all. So, uh, Renee. Thirteenth? <gasps> Bill, is she right? Oh, ding, ding, <laughs> Bill ding, says ding, I'm ding. right. <clears throat> so it is indeed the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. What cycle of readings? B. Oh, well done. Uh, what's the gospel B, in you, Bill. year B? What? What gospel? Mark? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Three for three. I know. Renee. I'm just going to make this sure Bill can't talk. This is much better than uh, the re- <laughs> recent episode of Ignition we recorded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so today's gospel is Mark, Mark often as, as a writer, um, he'll sandwich one story inside, inside another. Okay. So, uh, what we see in today's gospel, it's one of the most well-known stories and it's a long gospel reading, uh, relatively speaking, it's probably like a whole four minutes instead of two. Oh boy. I I don't don't know how long it is when you read, but, but in, in, in my devotional, it's a page and a half long. Um, it's uh, where Jairus, who's a synagogue official, comes to Jesus. My daughter's sick. Can you heal? Mm-hmm. And Jesus, yes, go. And there's a bunch of people. And this woman who has a hemorrhage, uh, she's been bleeding for 12 years, comes. She touches Jesus, gets healed. And then they get to the the synagogue official's home, and Jesus raises the daughter from the dead. Right. So um, story of Jairus's daughter uh, is the bread and the PB and J or the pastrami and whatever <laughs> the meat of the sandwich. Is, Bill, you got anything, Bill, to no, fix this that, over here? No, I want to know if you can it, fix what's happening. Nope. <laughs> is is um, the woman with the hemorrhage, right? Right. Okay. So, a couple of little things, and again, we talked about this last week with um, the the calming in the sea. How when when we when these stories are taken out of their larger context, we can lo- lose some of the cool details. Mm-hmm. So the, the reading begins when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. A large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue, synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, "My daughter is the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she may get well and live." He went off with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed upon him. So what we don't realize, because we can't read all of Mark at the Mass, is the last time Jesus was in a synagogue, they wanted to kill him. Or, oh. or at least at least he received a very cool uh, welcome. Oh. 
Uh, that I, might be a little different than wanting to kill him. Well, but, but, but it was, it, it may have been, <laughs> it they, they may have been intended to stone him. Right. Sure. Um, so that's one thing. So, that, so now he, uh, there's a synagogue official who's like, please come. Mm. Secondly, synagogue official, most of the synagogue, synagogue officials were Pharisees. Oh, okay. So the Pharisees are the, the black hats of the gospels. Right. Usually they're the kind of the bad guys because they have this idea of what the Messiah should be like. Jesus is not it. What's he doing? But this one, Jairus, the synagogue official, who's likely a Pharisee, therefore, comes and he fell at, falls at Jesus' feet. This is something you only do with a figure who is socially or religiously superior to you. Oh. So it's the synagogue official now who is basically falling, well, who's literally falling at Jesus' feet to come and heal his daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I, I think that's an interesting yeah. contrast between how Jesus I'd, has I'd been never thought about that. and will be received. Yeah. The woman um, had been suffering from her illness, her ailment, this, this, this continual hemorrhage for 12 years. How old do you think is Darius's daughter? Let me guess. 12. Hmm. She's 12. <laughs> she, she's 12 years old. Um, the woman is ritually impure because of her hemorrhage. She touches Jesus and is healed. Normally, when you touch a dead body because the daughter had died, you're rendered ritually impure for a week. Jesus brings her to life. So there's all these details that show us the power of Jesus to heal those of mind and heart. Good stuff, Dr. B. Thank you. You bet. In the studio with me today is the newly ordained Father Scott Miller. Welcome, Father Miller. Thank you, Renee. <laughs> I'm so glad you could be here with me. It took us a while to get you here because you've been <laughs> so busy since ordination. I just had to take what I could get. <laughs> <laughs> well, the life of a priest, you know, a tough life, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> it's been it's been really easy the past few weeks because I'm just kind of easing my way in, in, in oh, the good. interim between ordination and my first and assignment. assignment. So yeah, yeah. It's been kind of nice just traveling around, doing masses of Thanksgiving and oh, good. and being with the people. So, Where did you do your first mass of Thanksgiving? Uh, my home parish, St. Lambert, the okay. day after ordination. And how was that? It was really beautiful. It was kind of a little bit overwhelming in the sense that, um, like the Mass itself, I was just very, very at peace, which was a great mm-hmm. grace. And people commented on that afterwards. But the part that was overwhelming was just the overwhelming gratitude that people had towards yeah. me. And for, for my yes, but I really saw it um, in a way that I hadn't before where the priesthood is really a life given to the church. Mm-hmm. It's a gift to the church, not just a, a me thing, not just a me and Jesus thing. But um, And I got to see that in a more concrete way just immediately after ordination. Right, so it was right. really beautiful. That's really great. And that's not a small parish, so I'm glad you weren't <laughs> nervous. <laughs> you know, God provides, because growing yes. up, that was not, me being in front of people in any way, shape, or form is just not what I would want. But I oh, did good. have this Father Tony preaching for me, Father Tony Klein, oh, okay, a great sure. friend of mine. We, yes. So, yeah, he's was... uh, at uh, my parish at Holy Spirit, so yeah, we yeah. get to um, see him a lot. We love him. All right, so today we're going to talk a little bit about um, how you got your call to the priesthood, learn a little bit about you before that time, and um, how things have been going besides your first Thanksgiving Mass. So if you would, can you just start by just telling us a little bit about yourself in general, where you grew up, your family, sure. things like that? Yeah, so uh, I like to lay claim to being a, a Twin Cities boy or a Minnesota boy. Oh, okay. Just funny because I. Why would spent... you like to lay claim to that? Well, not anymore <laughs> okay. necessarily, but um, <laughs> but because I just love the all the sports. Used sure. to follow them a lot more than I do now. Sure. But 
the Twins, the Vikings. We go up to the Twin Cities for games growing up. Most of my childhood's been spent since two and a half in Sioux Falls. Okay. But I lay claim to being a Twin Cities boy because I was born in Burnsville. Um, we lived, it was mostly before I was born. We lived like three years in the Twin Cities and um, still have some family friends up there that we keep in touch with and right. go to visit from time to time. So right. throughout childhood, it's been a favorite place to go. and Sure. Go to Valley Fair and oh, enjoy yes. the enjoy the sights and <laughs> I and can't now. I can't go with you on the Vikings thing though I'm a Packers fan. <laughs> oh no! Already division created here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be okay. <laughs> um, so how big was your family? I, there's five of us total. So okay. mom and dad, uh, Linda and Todd. Okay. And then my oldest brother is Ryan. He lives in town here with his wife Libby. Okay. And uh, there are two two children, three uh, three and a half year old Emma, and then a newborn, Jacob. Oh, nice. So he was just born a couple weeks ago. Okay. And then the other sibling? We can't forget the, to mention them. Yeah, no. And Chad. Okay. Chad's the, the middle. So there's three between okay. each of us, three years. And, and you're um, the baby. And I'm the baby. All right. Yeah. Nice. See, we can we can unite again. My husband's name is Ryan. Oh, so there we're we go. Okay. We're okay, right? <laughs> the rupture has been brought together. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> um, all right, good. And where did you go to school? Here in Sioux Falls? Yep, all okay. public schools. I went to, so we lived on the east side. St. Mm-hmm. Lambert Parish was the parish. So my parents actually asked me if I wanted to do Catholic school. But since both my older brothers did public school mm-hmm. all throughout, I just decided, well, why would I do anything different right. than what my brothers did? So I went to Annie Sullivan and then Whittier and uh, Washington. Washington, school. sure. You so. figured they turned out okay, so you'd probably yeah. be all right, right? At least I thought so. No. Yeah, yeah. It seems They're like good. you did okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, so... Did you have some sort of plan for college? Yeah, I had a lot of plans. <laughs> from from early on, I, you know, well, college, I don't know if I thought about college, but I wanted to be an NBA player. Oh, of course, uh, sure. Court, right, I mean, that's, that's what every eight, nine-year-old boy Football, wants to do. Football, basketball, whatever, fireman. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and that carried me through till eighth grade, then I gave up on basketball. So, But in high school, um, I had thoughts of marine biology because I wanted okay. to do more on the medical side of research with, with coral reefs. That's the idea that I had. It wasn't so much the sea world, go swim with dolphins right. thing, but but more of a, I wanted to, to work on cures for cancer, cures for um, AIDS and different things that were proposed as possible, um, possible biochemical products that mm-hmm. could be produced through um, the coral reefs and their sure. different... Chem- anyway, but then it was senior year of high school, and this is the main plan I had was... After all of that, I decided just that wasn't going to work. That wasn't what I wanted. Uh-huh. Um, physical therapy was the plan oh. going into my first year of college. Sure. So my mom suggested to me, because I always had similar interests to my brother, Ryan, the oldest brother who's mm-hmm. a doctor. And but, I, but when I saw what he had to go through in med school, I'm like, you know what? I don't think that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> this might not work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just realized, you know, you really have to want it. If you yeah. want to be a doctor, you, it's, it's not just... Um, it's not just for the money. It's not just for whatever the prestige. It's you really have to have a, both the servant's heart and the wherewithal intellectually, yeah. but also just the desire. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the desire, um, but I loved people and I loved working in science, you know, in biology. So I got to shadow a physical therapist a couple times my senior year, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and thought, you know, just the rewarding experience of being able to track or a patient's. Mm-hmm. progress the mm-hmm. rehab period was a rewarding experience so that was even though there was there were stirrings the early stirrings of a vocation I 
definitely did not want to listen to those, especially considering I hated public speaking and I wanted to be married. So right. Those were two things that were like, <laughs> so well, like, Lord, nope, those I'm are out. not possible. So, um, yeah. So that was my senior year of high school. And then going into first year of college, I went to University of South Dakota Okay. and was planning on studying biology, planning on pre-physical therapy. And it was, everything was falling in place. I was doing well in school. I loved my friends, made new friends. I was even starting to go to daily mass for the first time. I didn't okay. know that there was such a thing right. when I was in high school because right. being a public schooler, you just didn't have the opportunity yep. as much. And and so that even deterred me further from wanting to be a priest because it not only meant Sunday homilies, but it meant daily homilies. <laughs> <Good grief. laughs> like, are you kidding me? So I was pretty, in a sense, set on one direction, mm-hmm. but my heart knew something different. Yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, that was kind of my first year. So college. can you go back then? You said there were stirrings for a while. Yeah. So can you give us the story of how you got your call to the priesthood? Because these are always very interesting, especially when you're like, heck no, this isn't happening. Oh, yeah. I'm not doing this. And here you are a priest. So tell us how this happened. Yeah. So uh, I remember back from, my parents recall that it was right after first communion around that time that in family gatherings, especially on my dad's side. We'd always go to my grandpa and grandma's on that side for Christmas and family reunion, Easter, Thanksgiving, all that stuff. And they would regularly, especially my grandpa, would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up, Scott? Just to kind of fun with me, you know, eight-year-old, what's he going to say? basketball. Yeah, and I, oh, exactly. <laughs> I always said either an NBA player or a priest without fail. And it was like every single time. <laughs> So it wasn't just a couple times because I wouldn't have remembered it. My parents wouldn't have remembered it, right. but they distinctly remember that. And of course, the only thing on my mind at that time was at least front and center was NBA. Um, I don't know at that point in time why I would have thought the priesthood because other than the fact that the, the Holy Spirit was already working, mm-hmm. I just didn't know that because growing up, I wasn't an altar boy. Right. I didn't go to Catholic school. We you went to an Sunday altar boy mass. ever? No. Oh, wow. Okay. No. I went to seminary, and that was the first time. Like, everybody knows what they're doing, and I do not know what I'm doing. So maybe I shouldn't be here, Lord. <laughs> but I realized that that's not what the calling means. Right. You know what you're doing all the time. Right. But, um, but yeah, so it started really early, and it just kind of, the thought pestered me. I would I would use the word pester. Um, in hindsight, it wasn't pestering, but it was, yeah, the Holy Spirit pestering me. <laughs> so- Hey. <laughs> and because it wasn't a welcome thought, as I right. told you, you know, I, right. I didn't love public speaking. I despised it. I looked forward to the day where high school speech would be over, and it was my junior year of high school, and I thought I was done with that, and then I had to do it in college. But little by little, as I would consider growing up, you know, what I wanted to do when I grew up, I just, the, the thought of the priesthood would just be there somewhere, whether it was front and center or towards the, mm-hmm. the back burner, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but I just, I couldn't shoo it away. And despite all the different desires, thoughts, the different things that I was thinking of, of pursuing, mm-hmm. it just kind of stayed there. Yep. And it didn't become a real possibility until my first year of college when, okay. when a bunch of things started to happen. So, of course, things began earlier than that. And in my heart, I was sort of empty, even with the possibility of physical therapy. I just wasn't, not that physical therapy in and of itself is a bad um direction, mm-hmm. a bad path, a bad career, but I just knew that there was something different, something more um, for me, for my life. And, but I just wasn't willing to consider that what that might be. <laughs> the summer before my first year of college, before I ever went to University of South Dakota, 
I remember that the thought, I had a deeper conversion experience, which could be the story of another day, but um, I started to pray more after that that conversion, and the thought of the priesthood just started to come up more prominently, mm-hmm. much to my frustration. <laughs> dismay, huh? Yeah, much to my dismay. And I, I remember saying to the Lord the most probably honest prayer I've ever prayed. I was like, God, I don't want to be a priest, but if you want me to be a priest, you got to help me to say yes, mm-hmm. because I can't, I won't. Um, it's not possible. I want to be married. I want to have kids, blah, 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 blah. list goes on. And, and hate public speaking. So <laughs> that was actually the more prominent thing in a yeah. sense, the more mm-hmm. public and terrifying thing. Um, and so, but it was that prayer. I realized looking back that God began to work immediately in response to that prayer by preparing an empty heart mm-hmm. where I was at. So I went to USD and I had great friends. Everything was good. I mean, I went to the Newman Center regularly, um, daily mass. I started to pray more, um, had good friends. I even started to date a girl, but it just wasn't, it didn't really work out. Mm -hmm. And I realized through all these experiences that I just wasn't made for, I was like, had this deep sense I didn't belong at USD. I didn't belong on that path. But that was really disconcerting because I didn't have any concept of what seminary was (laughs) or what the next. I didn't think about really. The priesthood, again, was very much on the back burner. That wasn't an option. I wasn't really thinking about it. But it was sort of there. Right. And then it wasn't until January of my first year of college. This would have been 2013. Okay. And within a, a period of a week and a half, three priests asked me in some way, shape, or form or said to me in some way, shape, or form, have you ever considered becoming a priest? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what got the ball really rolling, even though the stirrings had begun much earlier. Yeah. But you had an open heart that God had been working on. Yeah, he had tilled he knew the what soil. He was doing. <laughs> he had tilled the soil. <laughs> yeah, he did the work. And uh, and all you have to do is just not say no. That's what I really. It's. I mean, in some ways, it's saying yes, but in some ways, it's just not saying no. You know, though, that's really comforting. I think for other people because even if you're not going to become a priest, just to know that it is difficult to say yes to God. Absolutely. And, and yeah, sometimes just not saying no, then he can prepare you for what, what he, he wants you to do. just needs a little crack open. It's the <laughs> um, Leonard Cohen, is it? The artist who, who sang, what's the song? I can't remember the, the title of it, but um, he says, there's a crack, we, um, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Oh, yeah. And I used that for a homily once last summer. I should remember the title of the song, but this is my typical memory. <laughs> yes. you know? And those who know the song, of course, would be like, how do you not know it? <laughs> but such is life. Um, and I remember preaching on that, and I was just like, that's all God needs is a little yep. crack. Yep. And he works with the littlest, the smallest of, of openings. So. He really does. Yeah. And so it was within those three weeks of, no, a week and a half of January, um, where really priests that I didn't know at the time um, asked me these questions. So the first was down in Florida at a Sikh conference through Focus. Oh, really didn't know you. <laughs> really didn't know me. I w- went to confession with this priest, and who knows what part of the country he was from. There were hundreds of priests there to help right. with the sacraments. And um, I just remember him after the, the what I thought to be a normal confession, you know, nothing <laughs> crazy going on. He just said to me, have you ever considered becoming a priest? And I remember thinking, I didn't say this out loud, but I'm like, how do you know what's going on in me? <laughs> I didn't say a word to him about 
dating not really working ever in my life and it just not seeming right or right. the fact that I had a desire for the priesthood but didn't know what to do with it um, or that I had thought of the priesthood. But I answered him honestly. I was like, well, yeah, I have, but don't talk to me about that. I'm going <laughs> to leave. Tell I came here for confession. That's it. Um, so then I left and I tried to, you know, forget about that experience and enjoy the rest of my Florida vacation, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um and I successfully forgot about it for a few days, but then God brought another priest, and this was Father John Rutten. So sure. uh, I came back to South Dakota. I was getting ready back at campus for the second semester, and I was in my room at the time just getting some stuff unpacked from Christmas, and I get a call from my mom, and she gives me the news that my grandpa had just passed away mm-hmm. suddenly. He was out ice fishing, and he died of a heart attack. Oh. Um, and it was my last grandparent, so I was sure. I was really torn by it, and I remember crying for quite a while. And we weren't particularly close mm-hmm. necessarily, but he was my last grandparent, and I loved him very much. He loved me, and it came to my mind after I came to you know after crying that uh, these memories from when he and Grandma used to always ask me this question: mm-hmm. What do you want to do when you grow up? And the thought of the priesthood just was right there. Because obviously NBA was long gone. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was that same night I had plans to get dinner with Father John, Father John Rutten. And I didn't really know him other than having met him at his ordination mm-hmm. the June prior to that. Right. He was in Yankton at the time yeah. versus Simon. And so we had dinner and what I thought to be a normal conversation, you know, normal. Normal. And then what does he ask me about the same question? Have you ever <laughs> considered becoming a priest? <laughs> And I just started laughing. I was like partially out of disbelief that another priest could be saying that in such a short period of time. What is happening? Yeah. (laughs) But partially out of the first, it was really the first time that I look back and I say, I was actually excited about the possibility. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was the first time where the opening that was a crack became more wide open. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there was a desire more present than just a fear or repulsion or whatever you might call it. And that same evening then, so he dropped me off at the Newman Center. He was going to go talk to some other students. And middle of winter, Newman Center, dark chapel. I remember just going to pray and and give God thanks for everything. You Mm -hmm. know, thank God for everything I could think of. I made a list. and Thank you, God, for my grandpa. Thank you for Mm -hmm. his life. Thank you for my life. And, um, And then at the end of the list, the thought came to mind of the priesthood. The thought of the priesthood and and the thought that the Lord had revealed my vocation to me. And I kid you not, it was this experience that I had that that I had never had before and since then I've never had to the same degree. Um, But it was just this overtaking of my my body. I was just full of this floor-to-ceiling smile Mm -hmm. that that even became almost laughter. And I realized now in hindsight, that was that was the Holy Spirit <laughs> yep. making me um, realize that this is just, this is what you're made for. Right. And I really attribute my grandpa uh, or to my grandpa, a lot of my vocation in some sense, sure. that it, at least that it happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that it was just chance. Right. Um, and so I, I bet his prayers really had a lot to do with my yes and there's a lot more that I could say surrounding sure. his death. But then the last priest was just a few days later. Um, even before I get to that, though, I should say Father John texted me the next morning. And this is just how God works. He's, 
he must have known that I needed a lot. And <laughs> and the first thing I see on my phone is a text from Father John saying, um, Scott, I highly recommend that you enter seminary formation next fall. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I was terrified. do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He said, I, I rarely say so to a specific man of such clarity, but I believe you're at a place where your discernment will best be done there. And uh, he said, I see in you joy, the certain sign of God's presence. This is my opinion. Be free to do as you believe mm-hmm. as well. But if there was a moment where I was, I could say, I could pinpoint, this is the moment I, I knew um, that was that was the moment. Right. Where the decision was made. And yeah. Even though I was actually terrified in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Terr- I was both terrified and extremely excited and at peace. It's, it was a very paradoxical experience <laughs> where you could both be anxious and excited, or anxious and at peace at the same time. Um, and then this is the last one, was the, the priest in Canby, Minnesota. His name is Father Craig Timmerman. And I didn't really know him other than visiting Grandpa a couple times a year. We go to Mass at Christmas and Easter to mm-hmm. visit. And uh, I had this... We went to the, his wake first and then the funeral, of course. And I had this really weird desire to share something, like a memory of him, at his wake going up there. And I say a weird desire because what do I hate the most? <laughs> Public, Public speaking. speaking. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I was very convicted that I needed to say something, not just like a funny memory about Grandpa, because I didn't have a lot of funny memories. Mm-hmm. He, he was an army guy. He was very tough. He was a farmer. Um, but very strong in his faith. Mm-hmm. And there were stories that my dad would tell me of just the the beauty of his faith and a couple times where he stood up for his faith. And so I, I didn't share those specifically, but I wanted to share about his faith and mm-hmm. that that is really what matters the most. Right. And I remember walking up there to the, the lectern, whatever you call it, in the funeral home, just terrified. I mean, it was family and, and friends, right, right? right? But I was the most terrified I'd ever been. And just shaking like a leaf, but I said some words and apparently even stumbling through it, what I said must have been moving because my aunts and uncles came up to me and they're like, Scott, thank you for your your beautiful words. You just spoke straight from your heart. Thank you. And um, and then Father Craig Timmerman comes up to me. I'm sitting next to mom and dad and Ryan and Chad, my two older brothers. And he says to me, Scott, or he didn't know my name, but he said, if you want to become a priest, I'm the vocations director for the Diocese of New Ulm. <laughs> You're like, nope, I've got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know what a vocations director right, was, of right. course. Cause, right. But uh, if there was any lack of clarity left, it, it was, was gone. It was gone. It was gone. And really that it was kind of like the Lord saying to me, Scott, it doesn't matter what weakness you think you have. I can use it all. Yep. That's great. So, you have a really great story, and I wish we had more time with you. We are, I am we a are chatty to- Kathy. <laughs> or chatty Scott, whichever. <laughs> That's completely fine, because that was a really good story, and people need to hear those stories. So I'm glad you were able to tell it to us. Uh, I wish we had more time with you, because I'd love to hear more. We'll have you back again, because I think you'll be kind of sticking around the area in your next assignments. So we'll have you back again, and we'll learn more about you. Does Sounds that sound great. okay? Yeah, thank you. Renee. All right, thanks for coming in. All right. uh, Next week, we will have um, Monsignor Charles Mangan will visit with us for his last time before he goes to Maryland for his next assignment. So I hope you'll join us for that uh, interview. It'll be a great one. He's always fun to be with. Uh, That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us next week for more Catholic News.